You are listening to the Campus Beat Podcast. I'm your host, Dinah Jansen. Each Wednesday at 5 p.m. on CFRC 101.9 FM in Kingston, I welcome a new guest from Queen's University to discuss news, issues, upcoming events, initiatives, and services for the benefit of Queen's students, faculty, staff, and alumni. Thanks for tuning in to this podcast, and we hope you enjoy the episode. I am here with a Dylan Robinson, Canada Research Chair in Indigenous Arts and co-curator of the upcoming Soundings, an exhibition in five parts exhibit, launching on January 17th at the Agnes Etherington Arts Centre. Welcome to the studio today, Dylan. Hello. Hi. So, a swelled il talsquich tlitzelqua shikalitz matsqui chitzelatzel hodnoshoni kesta anishnabe holmach ikola. Uh, this is the way I'm introducing myself now because it is the way that we um, uh, people, Stalo people, Holmach, introduce ourselves when we are at home and also guests in another indigenous people's territory. And I, I basically said who I was, where I'm from. My family is from uh, Matsqui area in uh, Stalo territory, which is a territory that encompasses uh, quite a large area, uh, 26 different bands and nations across uh, the Fraser River and Stalo, which is the name that we, we, we use to identify our different nations and bands, actually means river. That's mm-hmm. because we're all up and down the river and everything we, that we do is oriented toward the river in one way or another. Okay. So, so hello. Hello. Welcome to CFRC. Thank you for having me. So Dylan is here to uh, talk to us today about this wonderful upcoming exhibition. Again, Soundings, an exhibition in five parts. Now, uh, before um, getting into the exhibition itself, um, tell us about yourself, Dylan, uh, your areas of expertise and the work that you're doing at the Agnes Etherington Art Centre and Queen's more generally. Sure. So I came to Queen's about four years ago now. Uh, My training is in a couple of different areas, Indigenous arts broadly, but within that uh, music and sound, sound studies, and then another part of my research focuses on Indigenous visual arts and public art practice, so art in public spaces uh, across the country and, and the U.S. as well to a certain extent. One of the projects I've been looking at recently is a, a documentation of all Indigenous public or as comprehensive as this can be, Indigenous public artwork across North America. Uh, there will be a website launching in the next year or so that, that documents this, that shows people the, the breadth of work that's been taking place uh, for quite a long time now, but, but also focused within the past 10 to 15 years. So that's, that's an area that I work in, and part of Soundings actually includes some public artworks. Uh, you will have noticed, students will have noticed, faculty, that there are uh, large concrete walls of buildings across campus that are now filled with Indigenous artwork. So that is one aspect of of the exhibition. Wonderful. Now, um, you are also uh, co-curating the upcoming Soundings and Exhibition in Five Parts with uh, Candace Hopkins, too. Can you tell us a little bit bit about them and the work the two of you have been doing together in order to bring this exhibition uh, to life. Mm -hmm. So Candice and I have been working together now for about six years on a variety of different projects. 
focused on indigenous arts. Candice is a, a curator who is Tlingit uh, from northern, uh, from the Yukon, actually, originally. But she's been working in contemporary arts for uh, her entire career. She was based in Vancouver at the Western Front for a while and has, has been uh, working internationally on Documenta, for example, which is a very large biennial of art and uh, is the new curator of the Toronto Biennial. So she's had, she's an Indigenous curator that has done an immense amount of work also in public art. And so we started working, as I said, about six years ago on this Indigenous public art project and applying for funding to support this work in, in a variety of different ways. And, and this funding has led to the Soundings exhibition, which has been wonderful, both academic funding through SHRC, Social Sciences Humanities Research Council, and the new chapter grant from the Canada Council. So it's been quite successful in allowing us to uh, realize these large-scale works, and these the, both the works that are outdoors and the works that are indoors and the performative aspects of them as well, because one of the unique things about the exhibition is that all of the scores that are included have uh, different realizations. They transform over the course of the exhibition. So rather than simply a painting that is on the wall, these scores in one form or another result in changes over the course of the exhibition. So if a viewer comes in at the very beginning of the exhibition, say mm -hmm. right now, they will see and hear something that is entirely different than they will if they come in in March, for example. Really? Yes. Okay. Interesting. Now, um, can you introduce us a uh, to the theme and the scope of this upcoming Soundings and Exhibition in Five Parts mm -hmm. uh, series? So, as I was just mentioning, the main focus of the exhibition is the score. So we've thought about this, I mean, there's a long history of artists working in score form from uh, Fluxus is sort of the, the main modernist art group that would create these often very playful or very utopian uh, written scores, so written in language rather than written in uh, music notation. Mm -hmm. And they, they asked for all kinds of things uh, to, be, to be done. So for uh, a Beethoven symphony to be replaced, all the instruments to be replaced by balloons, but for the symphony to be played on those balloons. So, you know, very <laughs> fun things or Yoko Ono for example to cut a hole in the sky these these sort of impossible things and so there's this there's this history of artists working in score form quite often written scores sometimes also graphic notation which means notation uh, often for musicians to realize that isn't in western music notation but mm -hmm. in visual images okay so it's an improvising uh, practice that a musician will do in, in interpreting what those visual images are and we have some of that kind of scoring included in the exhibition as well. But we were really reconsidering what this history was of uh, work in score form and what it might be to use that uh, with Indigenous artists, to offer this as an opportunity for Indigenous artists to create scores that would be realized in various ways uh, by members of the public, by musicians that would come in, by other performers, by actors, by any member of the public, really. Mm -hmm. um, and what might happen specifically when we offer this as an opportunity for something to be done. And I, I mention that particularly because we... Uh, through the past, uh, you know, 10, 20 years, we've had, um, we've had so many recommendations through the Royal Commission on Aboriginal People, through the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. All the, these have resulted in recommendations about what needs to be done, mm -hmm. what needs to be done in order for uh, change to be enacted. And mostly these recommendations are addressed towards institutions. 
So, and they're important recommendations. This is this is not to say that they're you know they're they're not. Um, Can you give us an example? Uh, sure. So, exam an example would be for uh, what I'm thinking of from the the Truth and Reconciliation Commission for all uh, all people working in a uh, being educated within the field of health to have specific education around working with Indigenous peoples and Indigenous communities mm-hmm. uh, because that's been a, a significant failing of the health system uh, through the years. So that that is that. You know, recommendation is, is articulated towards both institutions that train doctors and nurses and also larger councils that are uh, involved in creating policies around training and, mm-hmm. uh, and sort of a uh, cultural sensitivity. So, but again, addressed towards institutions and organizations rather than being addressed towards individuals. So one of the challenges is for, I think, for the, for the general public in encountering these recommendations is you can you can very easily read what needs to be done and who's 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 being asked to do those things institutionally but there is no personal address so there is no recommendation that says for individuals for any member of the Canadian public do this Right, and okay. so it becomes quite hard sometimes to find your way in if you're not part of one of those institutions, and you think, well, how can I, how can I respond? How can I do something particular uh, as an individual? So we were thinking originally of this exhibition being an opportunity for artists to say, all right, we will address these towards any member of the public, that so they can then step in and do an action, a something that may result in change. So. How can decolonization take place through individual actions, right? Through these individual addresses towards members of the public, and that's where we started. Okay. Uh, and things changed along the road in, in various exciting ways uh, that I can talk about more if you. If you oh, I'd love to hear it. Please flesh yeah. this out. So, so we we uh, we hosted a workshop originally a year ago in end of January, beginning of February, for all of the artists that we're working with to talk about this form, to talk about the score. Uh, we we participated as a group in um, performing certain scores, discussing how scores have been used. Uh, it's not a form that many Indigenous artists have taken, with a few exceptions, including one of the artists who's part of the exhibition, whose name is Raven Chacon, and he is a Navajo artist. So we wanted to familiarize people with this form and also talk a little bit about the potential for this to work within a decolonizing context. And there was a lot of excitement and, mm-hmm. and, and the artists uh, saw this, I think, as a real opportunity uh, to do something a little bit different than they might in their regular, in their, um, regular artistic practice. And we also opened up the form of the score. So we said, it doesn't need to be notation. It doesn't need to be a, a, a written address even in English or another language. Or music notation, it doesn't need to be that. You can think about the visual, uh, a visual score, an object as a score, a film as a score. The idea is that it should call for something to happen in one way or another. Okay. And so they took that in very different directions than we had anticipated, which is wonderful, which is what a curator hopes for when you, <laughs> when you commission new work. And from what I understand, some of these directions, at least in terms of, um, and forgive my lack of uh, no, knowing the nomenclature in the art world, but um, um, media forms, including video objects, um, as you mentioned, graphic notations, museological objects, and even written instructions. Mm-hmm. So with this in mind, what can uh, the viewer um, expect to encounter at the exhibition? Mm-hmm. Uh, a wide range of, of instructions uh, along all of those forms that you identified. Um, some of them are for very specific people to perform. So an example would be 
a work by Peter Morin called Indian Love Songs, which is a very playful title, uh, that, that is actually based on indigenous drums from the Pacific Northwest, uh, Pacific Northwest First Nations that are currently held in the Royal BC Museum. Um, that, that is, they are not, they have not been returned to the nations that, um, that made them, which is an on, the repatriation is a certain, certainly a very important conversation right now uh, with museums. But Peter wanted to go in and think about these drums as, as they are as living, um, living things, as ancestors or as having a sort of relationship to uh, the living that has been separate kept separate through the years of being held in a collection where the drums haven't seen their community. Community mm -hmm. hasn't seen their drums in a long time. And so he was interested in working with these drums and what he, what he decided to do was create video portraits of each of these drums, referring to their sort of life as an individual personality. And he also thought about these video portraits as being scores for musicians to respond to. Uh, in their media form, so as the as the drum, actually as he he's recorded in the video as moving and holding the drum in a very intimate kind of way, as he does that, uh, that movement then uh, by a musician viewing the video will be interpreted in sound. So it's a sort of multi-layered process, and he's really thinking through this kind of. Um, as I read it, the intimacy between that life uh, that the drum has mm -hmm. and a kind of um, disassociation that's been imposed and a sort of lack of connection. How can he address that uh, and think about this uh, lack of connection um, that he has felt in times for articulating love mm -hmm. um, in this score-based form. So yeah, it's a, it's a really great work and there are a couple of performances where it will be interpreted by a musician that are coming up. Uh, and that information can all be found on the Agnes Etherington website. Okay. So I do have a question that digs it maybe in terms of the logistics of uh, putting on an exhibition that involves a lot of sound. Uh, for lack of better words, what does that look like in putting that together? Because if you have a lot of sound happening in this exhibition, but sound from this particular uh, work, does that is that going to uh, be jogging up against somebody else's? How does that work logistically? Yeah. It's it's an important question that curators and artists need to contend with because unlike the painting, again, it is not uh, it's not contained right the, the the person visiting the gallery will hear something through even a wall or hear a faint sound or or be sort of jolted out of their engagement maybe with something by something that's happening elsewhere it's not really in control of the viewer to dictate the, the this you know normally visual experience that you have within a gallery and there's a lot of potential within that as well so we have tried to treat this um, this challenge of the spill of sound, uh, the uncontainable nature of sound, uh, in a way that draws people into different areas or asks them to consider something, uh, to consider how they devote, how they give their attention to something, um, yeah, in relationship with other things. I guess I'll, I'll put it that way. Uh, and and also, for example, there's one work by the artist Cheryl LaRondell, who's a, a Cree artist, and she spent a lot of time here in Kingston over the years on a number of different projects. 
and gotten to know uh, you know a number of people from the Haudenosaunee community here, from Tyendinaga mostly. It's been very important for her to think through how to privilege the uh, you know the voice of the culture of Mohawk people whose land this is, uh, and how she does that. Uh, as an artist that's not from here. And so she's in her piece, she's worked with Jan Hill, um, mm-hmm. from uh, who's now uh, Associate VP, uh, Diversity and Inclusion at Queen's. And uh, Jan has recorded the Thanksgiving address, the words that come before all else, and Cheryl has worked with that to, um, to work it into a different form that viewers will hear echoing throughout the space, reminding us that we are here, we're mm-hmm. here in Haudenosaunee territory. And it's a lovely way uh, to remind us as we're walking through the space that yes, that is that is the place that we are in. So that kind of spill of sound is is really important in this way that it that it, you know, filters through the galleries. All right. And speaking of filtering through, you mentioned before we sat down together, uh, one of the artists is also going to be doing um, an exhibition at Modern Fuel. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about them and their work? Yeah, so it's a, it's a wonderful time uh, to see and hear Indigenous art in Kingston at the moment because we have a, a large number of related exhibitions and we have the Cataraki Festival that I've also curated and uh, the Isabel Bader Center has supported and Bader funding, uh, ph- philanthropic funding has, has been a real contribution to a lot of this work both at the Agnes and the Isabel. It's been um, very instrumental in helping us realize these projects. But the uh, the Modern Fuel exhibition that's on, if not right now, very soon, I can't remember the exact date it opens, is uh, of a, by the artist Peter Morin, who I was mentioning before, mm-hmm. who's one of the artists that has worked in this form of the score before in his, in his previous work. And so he, and he actually also has a, a piece, a collaborative piece in the Cataraki Festival. So he's going to be very busy <laughs> in Kingston lately. I'm very happy that he's moved to Toronto recently, is much further than where he's from. He's a Taltan artist, originally from uh, Northern British Columbia. And so his work will also be uh, on display at Modern Fuel very soon. And he's really thought through Taltan um art history, as he calls it, and how that has informed uh, his practice, his artistic practice, uh, you know, from its very beginnings. And so the show at Modern Fuel is is kind of a retrospective, in a way, of a lot of the work that he's done over the years through Taltan uh, epistemology, you know, what it means to be Taltan. Okay. And now, um, speaking of some of the work that's also uh, in the exhibition, tell us about the curatorial score that you wrote. Yeah, um, I would love to. So the, uh, you know, as in your introduction, you, you noted I was the Canada Research Chair in Indigenous Art here. And so over the in the past 10 years, I've been doing a lot of writing. I have an artistic practice myself. Uh, before I became more firmly embedded within uh, the, the university system. But the writing that I've turned to more recently is the event score, so a written score, a score written in language, a poetic score that calls for something to to happen in the tradition of Fluxus. So I've been experimenting with this form for a number of years now, and uh, I've included a number of these scores in a book that's forthcoming called Hungry Listening, which is a, um, so I've used the form in a way to actually think through, reframe how we listen, how we listen to place, particularly. 
And it's been important for me in being here in Haudenosaunee and Anishinaabe territory to think about how I might listen differently as a guest here, to be a good guest in mm-hmm. this territory. And that doesn't mean for me adopting or putting on a Haudenosaunee framework for listening. It means listening with um, Haudenosaunee people, Anishinaabe people, having um, discussions on what it means to listen, what it means to be a good, good listener. And so... Alongside that, this this curatorial score, which is situated outside on Jeffrey Hall, for anyone that wants to go and see it, is a call to listen differently to the built environment. One of the things that is unique for me, at least in Kingston, not being from here, is the fact that there's limestone buildings everywhere, historical buildings. And those buildings are a part of colonization. Yes. They, they were created to be often, you know, it was part of the very first city, the, the cap, capital of Canada for a very short period of time. And there's a certain imposition that that makes in the in the landscape as well. And home of the uh, sometimes contentious uh, first prime minister. Yes, well. exactly, yes. exactly, exactly. So these limestone buildings really st- have always stood out for me, and I've, I've, you know, my body has has lived within them, uh, uh, from the classes I teach to the the buildings that I that I pass through and visit, and I've really thought through <clears throat> how that limestone was is of this place, is is the land itself, mm-hmm. right, quarried from from this place, but we don't necessarily think of it that way. We don't when we don't listen to it in that way we don't normally listen to buildings sometimes we do they're they're very you know uh, if there's construction going on or 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 event but the idea i've been working with and that's in the score is how we might listen to these buildings not not exclusively as a colonial imposition but listen through them and one of the facts of limestone limestone is that it um it's porous it allows water to move through Mm -hmm. so it is in a sense uh, it's meant to look permanent but it has a kind of uh porosity and a way that things can move through and so the question that i i came to in this curatorial score is how how we listen through to something other than the imposition of the colonial built environment. Um, and I'm, perhaps we'll leave it there for, for people <laughs> to experience rather than explaining it all away. <laughs> Indeed. If we don't want to give it all away, <laughs> yes, just yes, a little bit of a that. taste. That is the worst thing to do as, a, as an artist. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. So, um, but uh, perhaps even picking up from there and returning to the overall themes in question, in your view as co-curator of uh, Soundings, an exhibition in five parts, how can SCORE be a call and a tool for decolonization? Yeah, well, I think I've been thinking about how these, <clears throat> how these scores, so there are, there are different ways to think about decolonization. We can think about direct action. We can think about changes to curriculum. We can think about these calls I was talking about before mm-hmm. from the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. And all of those are very important. But what I think also needs to happen, to happen in conjunction with all of those kind of direct action uh, calls is a challenge to the way we perceive, the way we actually look, the way we hear, the way we uh, feel our body moving through space that disrupts the normative getting from point A to point B, that uh, allows us to hear differently the uh, you know how the ways that indigenous people uh, have relationships to place uh, that uh, you know slowly works to disrupt our 
normative forms of perception. So I see the works all working in this way in, um, in, in subtle forms and significant forms. I think rather than a sort of direct call that says, you do this, right? Some of them are more like that as well, but the, but not in the sense of direct action. No, no one, none of the works say, uh, you need to change this government policy, <laughs> for example. <laughs> right. Uh, they, they ask you to do something a little bit strange, a little bit different. And I think those, that, that reorientation uh, helps resituate the way we perceive the world, as, as a lot of art does, I think, but this in this sense from an Indigenous perspective. Wonderful. Thank you very much for uh, filling us in on that. Um, now, finally, um, with the logistics as well, as we come to the end of our program, uh, can you tell us where, when, and how people can find information to experience soundings and exhibition in five parts? Mm -hmm. So all of the information about the exhibition and its various parts is online at the Agnes Etherington Arts Centre. Uh, but also physically there at the very uh, you know entrance, there is a curatorial another curatorial score inside that gives information about the works themselves, uh, and you can speak with anyone there. Gallery staff, uh, they're very knowledgeable about the about the exhibition. I also want to mention very briefly that the exhibition will be touring, which is lovely, an international tour. Tour, moreover. Uh, so it could end up in very distant places from here, and it's an opportunity for the artist to uh, to have their work presented in a very different context and have it resonate or have that kind of perceptual capacity shift over time. That's uh, exciting. It is. It's very exciting. We're we're really happy, and the the organization that is touring the show is Independent Curators International. So, so look for it possibly in other locations in the coming years. It'll, it'll probably conclude in 2022, so it will tour for a significant period of time. Great to hear. All right, so anything else that you wanted to add uh, about the upcoming performances before we sign off today? Sure, there is a performance, actually the first performance of the exhibition that's taking place at the season launch on January 17th. And the performer that is coming, her name is uh, Rachel Iwasa, and she is a pianist based on the West Coast. And she will be realizing one of the graphic scores, a piece by Tanya Willard called Surrounded Surrounding. And it's a very interesting graphic score because it's partially designed from a uh, bandolier bag as part of the Agnes collection, Anishinaabe uh, bag that's that's in the collection with an unknown maker. It's very little information about this work. It's a beautiful beaded uh, beaded work. And Tanya has taken this to uh, the design of this work and included that as part of a graphic score. So it's a way in which the pianist is called to interpret this visual design. It's such a beautiful design uh, in relationship with another part of the score that is based on a, uh, a wood pile that is uh, of wood that Tanya herself has uh, gathered and prepared in her territory to sustain the fire, you know, at their home there. Uh, and she's turned this, this sort of, the, the spaces between this pile of wood and this labor, the labor that she has done into part of that score as well, to think about, about the work that we do to sustain our families. This is the way that I read it, at least. 
and also embedded some some words within this this score. So I, I encourage people to go and and have a look at the score as part of Tanya Willard's work, and then come and hear it on the uh, January seventeenth launch at the Agnes, and Rachel Iwasa will be performing it then. Wonderful. Thank you very much, Dylan Robinson, Professor Dylan Robinson, Canada Research Chair, Indigenous Arts, for coming into the studio today and telling us all about the upcoming Soundings and Exhibition in Five Parts exhibition launching on January 17th. It's a real pleasure talking to you today. Thank you. And thanks once again to Canada Research Chair, Indigenous Arts, Professor Dylan Robinson for coming in and talking about Soundings Art Exhibition in five parts happening or launching uh, January 17th, 2019 here at uh, Queen's University on Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee territory. And uh, we're going to close the show with a lovely outdoor piano uh, performance for Vancouver's Summer by Rachel Liwasa, featuring her performance of Box Goldberg Variations. Thanks for tuning in to Campus Beat. We'll see you next week.